Well, good morning. Love seeing so many faces. This is great. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Noah. Um, I'm actually the worship leader here, not the pastor here. That would be Robert. Uh, but Robert has given me the great opportunity to preach this morning and to share uh, from the Word. And so both anxious but also incredibly grateful um, the time that I got to spend here um, studying this passage, studying God's Word. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance because I'm going to be jumping around in Scripture a lot. But I don't know about y'all, but I, I'll, I'll let the Word preach the Word. Um, I'll let him do the teaching. So I'm totally fine with jumping around, but you may just be flipping a lot in your Bible. Um, so today we're talking about oaths. We're talking about Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Um, so I want to start off by sharing a story um, that I have from my college days. Um, so I was part of the Baptist Student Ministry, as many of you all know, um, and great organization, great Christian organization um, on UT campus. And we love to play games there. We love to just have a way of bringing community together. And so one game we absolutely love to play there is a game called Werewolves. Um, so it's this kind of like this game of deceit of trying to figure out who the bad guys are and who the good guys are without, you know, revealing who you are. Uh, so that's kind of the, the premise of the game. It's one of those of like, oh, I'm a bad guy, but I'm not going to tell anyone. And you're getting rid of people. And as the game goes on, you have to like determine of who you want to vote off because you think they're bad. And it's a lot of just unknowns. Um, so it's a super fun game to play with, you know, people you know. Because it's like, I think I know you well enough to tell that you're putting up like a, a face, potentially, maybe. Uh, there's been some incredibly crazy games, but we really enjoy playing it. Um, but there's some friends that challenged me one time um, when playing this game. Um, that for them, they were you know, bringing friends in to play this game as well. Um, and they really wanted to make sure that they kind of didn't compromise themselves. Of, I want to share the gospel with these people. So how will that set me up well if I'm lying in this game and then now I'm going to tell the truth now? Like, they'd rather just not have that scenario. They'd rather lose a game of werewolves um, and be able to share the gospel than have some doubt in the gospel because they wanted to win a game. And so they challenged me to do the same thing. Um, both of them were named Caleb, so the Calebs uh, challenged me to do that. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do that this game. Let's, let's, not, let's try not to lie this game. Um, and the game goes on, and we keep going, and it's down to four people. One of the Calebs is still in, myself, and there's one werewolf left, one more person we have to vote off. And, so, and we, have no, like, we have no way of being like, oh, I can trust this person, I can trust this person. It's still a lot of unknowns. And so I'm trying to convince my friend Caleb here, being like, you need to vote off this person. I am a good guy. I have no way of verifying it. I'm just telling you I am a good guy. And so he kind of just like locked eyes with me and said, do you remember what we talked about before we did this game? And I said, I do. I do. He's like, so you're not lying to me. I was like, I am not lying to you, Caleb Bruce. He said, okay, I'll run with it then. And so, and we voted off the werewolf and we won the game. We won the game purely off because I said I wasn't going to lie in the game. And so I, I just did it um, and just very, was very confident and bold in the truth. And so it's a silly game. It's a, a silly game. Um, but I really liked, especially what kind of they were bringing in with that, of the heart of that, of just keeping our word. We live in a world where, like, the idea of deceit is not such an uncommon thing and sometimes not even thought of as a bad thing. But we're going to see here um, how much God values the truth, um, how much he lives it out himself, and how much he wants us to do that as well. And so if just 
to kind of hope that you take away, the one thing I want you all to take away um, is we have nothing to swear by because it all belongs to God. So keeping our word means to give a humble yes according to God's will and a no to false promises. So let's, let's dive into that. So I'm going to start off first about just the premise of keeping our word, the, you know, why God's even talking about this, why Jesus is, why Jesus is talking about this right now. So verses 33 and the first half of 34, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now you may even see my Bible has like the little header thing of oaths. Um, and that's not a common word I would say we use nowadays. Like it's not something we constantly like, oh, I'm taking an oath for this. Maybe you hear it and you think of like in a courtroom when you have to take an oath uh, to tell the truth. So I thought I'd look up the definition of an oath so we could be on that same page of actually seeing what it means. So the, the definition of an oath is a solemn promise, often invoking a divine witness regarding one's future action or behavior. Um, and another thing that as I was kind of running through this um, that was kind of pointed out to me uh, when it comes to oath is that oaths are also kind of needed in an environment of lying. If no one's ever lying, you don't have to take an oath of saying, this person can verify that I will do this thing because everyone's going to do what they say. So there needs to be, essentially, there needs to be an environment of lying for an oath to be needed. Um, if not, then, you know, we'd live, I mean, I know, imagining myself as I was going through this, this passage of being like, man, if we didn't have to constantly do that, of saying, like, I'm going to do this and have to have some verification that I was going to do that, that would be great. Um, but I think it's also indicative of the environment that we live in. And so, uh, kind of looking to why Jesus is even sharing this uh, with the people at this time, um, Again, this is similar to what we've been looking at when, it, when we're going through this sermon series of becoming human, of looking at kind of Jesus at this point now, of looking at the, the laws of old that the Jewish people are very familiar with, um, and not like countering those laws, but saying those are still present, um, and even giving, diving even deeper into those. So last week we looked at anger and lust. Um, today we look at oaths. Tomorrow we'll continue to look um, at those things. So this is not an unfamiliar topic to the people, this idea of oaths. Uh, we can find this in, in Deuteronomy 23, 23, uh, where it says, You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So this is a known fact of them. You even think of the stories of, of Jacob and, and Esau, um, where you can see the value of oaths that are hold there. Um, how Jacob tricks his father Isaac into giving him the blessing. Uh, that was supposed to be given to Esau, the firstborn. And when Esau approaches and Esau and Isaac figure out what happened, Isaac's like, I can't give it to you. I've already promised it to him. I've already given it to him. There's, there's nothing that can, can break that. Um, we even think of the, the covenant that he has with Abraham of saying, I will birth a nation from you. And for the Jewish people, it's like one of the biggest things ever. This is how our nation was born. Um, this is how we formed and so this is a very familiar thing to them, this idea of oaths. But we're going to kind of see here that they kind of been twisting and turning it and being very like, oh, these are okay, these are not okay. Um, but I think God points to this and continues to, Jesus points to this and, and continues to do that in all these things to really highlight on the fact that the law remains the same. That is still in place. You should do what you say you are going to do. This is, passage is not going to be like, this is what was said, 
but this is what things are now. That is still very much the case. You have to, to do what you say you are going to do. Now, I learned this lesson um, very much in a not great way of this idea of sticking to your word. Um, it was my junior year, I believe, of college. Um, and so I had mariachi practice after a career fair. And if any of you have done career fair, I don't know about y'all, but I felt miserable after it. it. It sucked, passing out my resume, not really getting anything back. And so, and just on your feet all day. So it just wasn't great. Um, so I'd been on my feet and I was like, I gotta get to mariachi practice. And then after that, I'm done for the day. I'm kind of already done, but I gotta get this done. And so I'm waiting for the bus from the, the Irwin Center to take me to campus, so I, I don't have to walk the whole way to the music building. Um, and it's raining, and they let us know, like, the bus is not gonna show up for like another 30 minutes. And I'm like, I need to get there. I'm already running late. So I just, I walk, I walk all the way to the music building, which I think was about a 30 minute walk. It was not a fun time. I was miserable the whole time. I finally get there, and I get my instrument, and they've already started practice, so I jump in. We're practicing, and we enter this part of the practice where our director's like, okay, here are the gigs that we have set up, you know, confirming we're good to go. And she mentions one of the gigs, and I like raise my hand and say, oh, I can't do that. And she was already kind of with a new group getting frustrated with sometimes us not realizing, like, if we're part of this mariachi group, we have to go to what we say we're going to do. And so she was very frustrated and kind of was like, guys, if we say we're going to do something, we have to do it. Like, we can't just be, like, flaking out on things. And I was just in a bad mood and said, like, I can't make it, I'm sorry, I have another priority um, that came up, and so I'm going to do that instead. Um, and so very much me and her were not on great terms at the time, and so I like, sent her a text message saying, hey, I wanna meet up, because I was like, if she really has an issue with this, then I don't wanna be part of this group. Um, and so I asked her to meet up, and she was super gracious in actually meeting up with me and dealing up with my bad attitude at the time. And I very much like approached this conversation of like being bold of like, this is, this is it. I'm dropping it here. You, if you want it, sure. If not, I'm out of here. Um, and very much approached it with that of saying like, I have these priorities. I'm going to do these things. So if this comes up, I'm going to do it above mariachi. Um, and she's like, I get it. I get having priorities. There are things in life that come above everything else. But the, the, the statement she said and whether she knows where this actually came from or not, um, but she was like, but... Noah, you have to make sure that your yes is yes and your no is no. And I had no rebuttal because I knew where that came from. Um, <laughs> and I was like, she's, she's right. She's right. If I'm going to be part of this Marechi group, I, when I say yes, I'm going to be there for practice or for a gig, I have to be there. Um, especially as I, I wanted to be a witness to Christ to them. I wanted to be sharing the gospel with them. And what good would that do me if I'm saying, oh, I'm going to do all these things and I decide to do this whenever and not actually keep my word? I would lose a lot of credibility with people saying like, oh, I don't know if Noah will actually do that. And so it would just kind of shook me to the core of like, she's right, and I have no rebuttal. Um, and was very humbled that day of, yeah, I need to make my yes be yes and my no be no. Um, so that was my humbling experience with this. So if you hear this and feel humbled by it, know that that is not a, uncommon experience, um, but I hope that maybe you are humbled the same way that I was. Um, so Jesus is really mentioning this to them because they seem to have a similar issue of oaths. 
Um, they seem to have this kind of stance where some oaths are kind of okay to break, some are not, depending on what you do. Um, and Jesus even later on, when talking to the Pharisees, kind of calls them out on this. And so we see that in Matthew 23, uh, 16 through 22. So uh, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees here, and it says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And they were doing things like this. They were like, oh, if you swear by this thing, you break it. It's not that big of a deal. But if you swear, if you give an oath by this thing, man, do you have to keep it? And if not, there are severe consequences. And Jesus is approaching them and saying, you are leading them so blindly. You've taken this thing, the, the law of doing what you say you're going to do, and somehow corrupted it and moved it around for your own personal gain to kind of let you do whatever you want, um, let people have an opt-out of truly following through with what they said they're going to do. And honestly, that issue is still very present today. Um, I, when, uh, I think also junior year, I was taking a communications course, and so we're talking about you know, how we talk and interact with people, and we got to this concept of deceit, of lying. Um, and so we took a class poll um, there, and this is like a, a class of like probably 200 students or something. Um, and so the poll comes up and we answer with our clickers, and the question is, is lying okay? And you had three, you had three uh, responses that you could give. You could say yes, you could say no, you could say sometimes. Um, and when the results came back, the majority was sometimes. And even the secondary one wasn't even no, it was yes. People would rather say, yes, it is okay to lie, rather than saying, no, it's not okay to lie ever, because they wanted that, that opportunity to still be like, oh, I don't want to, you know, if we don't follow through, or I need to lie about this thing. And so that is, I mean, when I saw it, I was kind of a little overwhelmed by it, by how much people were like, yes, it's okay to do this thing, so much that more people would say yes, rather than saying no. Um, like agreeing on deceit being a good thing. We see, though, through the life of Jesus and throughout God, through all throughout the Bible, um, how much he values his word of saying, if I'm going to do something, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to follow through. I mean, the whole life of Jesus is fulfilling, fulfilling prophecy of a promise that this is going to happen, and he walks through it. And the even I love this part, and it's, it, you can see examples here in Matthew, and I'll share one here, of like, it literally will say, like, Jesus did this thing, and then just as the prophet Isaiah, or whatever prophet it was, said it would happen. So we see an example here in Matthew 12, 15 through 21, which says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, 
nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his hope name the Gentiles, in his name the Gentiles will hope. So we see a very clear example there. Jesus did something, and then Matthew's like, yeah, because Isaiah said he was going to do it, and he fulfilled it. Um, and it's not even in Jesus' life. We see God do this multiple times in the Old Testament. I mean, I mentioned some of them previously, uh, but we see it again here in Jeremiah 1.12, where it says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. This is even God saying, I'm holding this, this idea of really stick to your word. That's, that's really what God is, Jesus is pointing to when he makes this reference of like, you've heard this. That is still true. But we get to, the, we get to that but statement of, but I say to you, that we saw happen last week as well. Um, and really puts an emphasis on what the weight of giving an oath and breaking it means. Um, so it's not just like a command, but saying this is what happens if you do not withhold, uphold this command. Um, and really hammers, point, hammers home the point of you have nothing to give an oath by. You have nothing on your accord to be like, this is my witness. We're going to see here that giving an oath to anything means giving an oath as God is our witness, and so if we don't follow through, we're essentially saying God may not sometimes follow through. And I don't know about y'all, but I do not want to do that because uh, that is a very, very, very bold and dangerous thing to do um, to try to discredit God. Um, so we see this found in verse 34 to 36 where it says again, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And, and Jesus points to these examples very specifically. It's not just like these random things that he's mentioning of saying, oh, this is God's, and this is God's, and this is God's. But he's really pointing to things that the, the Jewish people are familiar with. These, aren't un, like, these are not just like these random statements that he's throwing out of like, God's in charge of these things. Like, as the Jewish people are hearing this, they're like, oh, that is true. We've, we've known that. We've studied that. So as we go through it, again, we, we, see, we found that in Deuteronomy, um, that God owns everything. But really, I want to go detail by detail to really show that it, it really landed there with these statements. So the first one, uh, by heaven, for it is the throne of God, uh, we see the similar, this exact same use case of heaven is the throne of God found in Psalm 11.4, where it says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. We see it again in 1 Kings 22:19. It says, and Micah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. So again, not an unfamiliar concept to them. And, and this one may seem like the most obvious one, because it's like, oh, it's by heaven. Yes, of course that is God's thing. I'm, I'm not going to swear by that thing, because that's, that's his. Um, and so that one, you know, you hear that one and be like, yeah, that one makes sense, sure. Um, but he continues on by saying, uh, by the earth. And we're like, well, surely the earth is our domain. This is where we live. This is our planet. This is where we exist. Surely we can swear by the things that are here. And Jesus is like, no. The earth is the footstool of God. We see this found in Isaiah 66, 1 through the first half of 2, um, where it says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, 
Again, pointing to that heaven being the throne of God. And the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. He's saying, I made the earth. That's mine. I've made it. Um, you, cannot, you cannot claim that. It is my creation. Um, I, I recently finished the book of Job and kind of got to that amazing ending part where Jesus is like, look at everything I've made and how intricate and detailed I made it. It wasn't even like an afterthought of like, okay, let me make this. It, it took incredible like wisdom to be like, this is how I want this to be made. I mean, um, they were talking about medicine. If you look at the human body, holy cow, are we so intricately made down to the very minute details. Like if just something comes off, if something is a little bit off, then, you know, we get sick or even worse. And so Jesus is like very much like this thing I have made and is incredibly detailed. And so it was so beautiful to kind of read that and then see this and be like, I have no quarrel with this. You, you just pointed that out in Job and I totally agree. The earth is yours. It is not ours. Next, he moves on to Jerusalem, the city of the Jewish people. Like, well, this is our town. This is our home. Many times we view our home as like, this is ours. This is our city. Um, but he even points to that saying, this is the city of the great king. Again, another concept that they're not even like, unfamiliar with. It's not like a shocker of like, oh, Jerusalem belongs to God. We see it in Psalm 48.2, where it says, beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. These are from the words of you know, King David, someone they revered quite highly. Um, and sometimes they even compare Jesus to of saying, like, are you trying to say you're greater than this guy? Um, and so Jesus knows exactly who to be like. Apparently you guys find validity in this person um, for some reason more than me. So I'm going to use them to show that what I'm saying is true. And the one that I think that really drives home, um, and one that even for them drives home, is the, our head you know, our body. Um, one thing that they would commonly do to kind of allow themselves to break oaths would be like, oh, I swear by my right hand, because this is mine. It's so far away and removed from God. This is my thing. So if I, if I break the oath, it's no big deal. Um, and, and, and there's very much a culture now of like, we own ourselves. We own our bodies. This is ours. I get to decide what I get to do with this. And God continues to point out to them no. I mean, he says, um, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, you're probably thinking in a modern context, I mean, I can dye my hair. I can change what it is. Um, but he has it really pointing out to like, you are my creation. You do not decide, you know, how you age, how, you know, even how you are born. Like, those are not in your hand. I have made you. Again, pointing to the fact that, the, you know, us as a creation, he even goes even more detail. Like, He's like, you all are a special creation of mine. You are made in my image. Uh, when we see the creation story, um, it's like we weren't like, okay, now here's your independent thing. You figure out how you want to be made. It's like, no, I made you very detailed. I put so much attention and focus into the way um, that you are made. And so Jesus is again pointing, none of these are ours to give. We can't be like, this is my witness because it's all pointing back to God. God is the witness to anything that we try to give an oath by. And like I said, I, I don't want to give an oath that somehow tries to invalidate the truth of God, the promise that he gives. That is such a dangerous 
thing to do. But I want to kind of give a little bit more uh, like a view on what this, this means of being like, oh, I don't own anything. So just kind of like a small footnote here of like, you know, I don't want you to take away from this of I own nothing. I should stop taking care of everything I own because it's all God's. God's got it. Um, we're still called to be stewards of the, of the things we have. So we're still called to be stewards of the earth, of the city, of ourselves. We're called to take care of them. I thought about the parable of the talents found in Matthew 25, uh, 14 through 30. I won't read the, through the whole thing of that just because it's quite long. Uh, but the servants were called to take care of something that they did not own, um, and eventually return back to the master. Um, so that's very much the way we treat things. Of God has given us these things to be in charge of, to take care of. Um, so we are called to take care of it, but it's not ours to own. So you know, when the day comes that God returns and we stand before Him, we cannot say, "Oh, don't worry, I owned that. It was fine that I, you know, did not take care of that. It was fine. I did not take care of, you know." you know, my possessions, like my car, or maybe you have an animal, like, oh, you know, maybe I messed up here and there. I was like, no, that was my creation. I, I told you to take care of it. There's not an opt-out here of, oh, you weren't able to take care of it. So we need to really have that realization, all this is God's, and we're just managing it for him. Um, but I think it, an even bigger point of really seeing that, you know, all this is God's is showing that we are representatives. We are, we are witnesses to God, um, which is, I think, really one of the bigger points that he wants to hammer home here is you are, represent, you are my witnesses. He's going to later on call them witnesses. We see that in Acts 1.8 where he says, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Um, like, almost making sure they don't have like an opt-out of like, okay, I can trick away from this responsibility of being honest. Um, it's like, no, you're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to call you to share the gospel. Um, so your word needs to be kept, because if not, then when you say the gospel, people will doubt my word because of your witness. Um, so we need to always keep that in mind. There's not an opt-out of this, of saying, oh, well, I just, you know, God has everything, so I just, whenever, you know, Make sure to give any promises at all and, you know, like not talk about this because I don't want to, you know, invalidate God. It's like, no, we are his witnesses. We are still called to do that. We are still called to keep his word. So then I'm sure you hear all this and be like, okay, so then what do I do now? Like, is it just, just keep your word? Sweet, walk away. Um, but I think God really elaborates a little bit more on this and what that can look like in our lives. Um, and that's that humble yes I talked about. Uh, and that can be found in verse 37 here of Matthew 5, where it says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. That humble yes that we need to, to make is, like I said, it's the Mariachi example of being incredibly humbled, of saying, like, I have to, to do what I say I'm going to do. And so really, I need to humble myself in saying that my word really holds no weight. But God's word holds all the weight we just saw, because God has everything. So his word truly holds all weight um, and holds all truth. So really our yeses need to be like, I'm following God's will. That's what I'm saying yes to. Um, so I'm going to step forward to this and what God will do. I mean, that's this, the, whole, this whole sermon series we're kind of going through is becoming human. Like, that's the human design is to not have deceit, not to have this thing of I'm going to do this and then not doing it. The human design was to be like, we're going to fully walk in truth 
and not really lie to each other and truly do what we say we're going to do. Um, but we fail at that. I mean, I was convicted from that example, I'm sure, as I'm preaching. Some of you may think of other examples of like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't keep my word here. Um, and I'm seeing how much that, that holds weight. Um, the beauty of all this and that we get to continually see here is that the gospel is amazing and gives so much grace. Um, and really from that allows us to pursue this. Um, we see later examples of this, of, of what that can even look like. So we see with the example of faith, the idea of faith like a mustard seed, um, found in Matthew seventeen twenty, where it said to them, he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So when it comes to faith, he's saying, you just, you just need this much faith. It's the grain of a mustard seed, and I will move. I will move. I will do what's needed. It's not saying, like, you're going to move the mountain. I'm going to move the mountain. And so I think it's a very similar example when it comes to calling us um, to strive for this, of saying, live in that, the assurance that God is going to do something, not that we're going to do something. Because even in that example, it's, it's, it's not us, again, moving a mountain. It's God doing it. Um, so we need to, to rest in his promise, in his truth, that he will always keep his word. He does the rest according to his will. We even see some of the, we see the disciples taking this, this posture as well. We find in 1 Peter 3.17 where it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Even Peter there is saying, you know, I could say every time you do good you're going to suffer, but I don't know that. I just know that God has a plan for everything. So when this occurs, you may suffer because that's in God's will, or you may not. Um, so really being like God, God holds, holds it all. God is the one that has it all. He's, the again, that truth. Um, I mean, we even see this in what our response should be. I mean, the gospel is saying yes to the one thing that will never fail, the gospel is not because we're saying we're going to be perfect now and everything that we said we're going to do, we're going to follow through. The gospel is found in that God is going to do everything he says he will do. That is what our yes is. I know sometimes it can be where, you know, I say I'm going to follow Jesus and I mess up again and again and again. And I'm like, God, does this break this? I should really strive for this. And that conviction is a good thing of being like, I, I should feel the weight of this, of not living to this standard but then I get to come to God and be like, he, he kept his word. So his idea, his, his role for giving us in grace and mercy that we don't deserve, he gives us. And so that is what really I, I see so much beauty in a following God is that God's grace overcomes all my faults, all our faults. Um, so our commitment to follow Jesus is, is a hope to strive for this, really like keep our word. Um, but it doesn't mean that the day we don't keep our word means that we stop following Jesus. That doesn't void us of our salvation. So our yes, because our yes is in God, not in ourselves. Now, he continues on. He doesn't just say, just say yes. But he says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So he highlights even the no of saying no to false promises, to not really give your word to something that you should not. 
I'm sure we've all seen those romantic movies where, uh, you know, the person's like, I'm always going to be there for you, and I will never, ever hurt you, and I, I got you, um, and we're just going to, we're going to stick to this, and it's going to be amazing, it's going to be perfect, it's going to be beautiful, and you can ask anyone who's married, that's not how it goes. You, you will let the people you love down. Um, you, will, you will fail them. You will not always keep your word to them. Um, so really, it's like, don't give a promise you cannot keep. Don't put something out there that is based on your power, as we just saw, but truly let it be based on what God's doing. Let his promises ring true and not try to give our own false promises. And he highlights that with the, the, that last part of saying, anything more than this comes from evil. I don't know if you've ever told someone you were going to do something and let them down, but I have, and it, it hurts both people. Um, they're hurt because they don't know if they can trust you anymore. In those scenarios, I was hurt because I was like, I failed someone again. I let someone down again. And it really can put a wedge sometimes of dri- driving people away from each other, saying, I don't know if I can trust you, I don't know if I can trust myself, um, and just really hurts people and, and starts to sever that tie. Um, and so that's, I think, why God really calls us to trust in the Spirit, uh, because that's the thing that, that bonds us. Even us as a community here as a church, um, yes, we're committed to each other, but the Spirit is the reason that we continually gather and choose each other. He's the one that, that, that binds us together, because if it's based off of our own power of saying, I'm going to be here every Sunday, I mean, I've already not done that. Um, so if it was based on that, then I would be out the door. I wouldn't be here now. And so um, we really need to be wary of our word. Again, because it's, it's all pointing to God anyways, whether we keep it or not. Now, I do not want you to hear this and say, well, I'm not going to commit to everything. Again, that opt out. Um, we see so many examples that God gives of commitment, of what it's, it, it truly says to say, I'm going to do this thing. I mean, like I mentioned, following God is a commitment. You know, it's, we're not going to be perfect at it, but that's a commitment. So still go towards that. We even saw last week the idea of marriage is a commitment. You know, like I mentioned, of married couples probably know that you will let down your spouse. Does that mean you should never get married ever? No, God, God uses it as a reflection of saying, this is my commitment to you. Um, and even why marriage is so sacred is it's that commitment of reflection of God saying, I'm going to be there for you always. I will keep my promise. I will keep my word. Um, raising children does mean, oh, I'm going to not be a perfect parent. No parent is perfect. But does that mean we should stop trying to raise children in a way that honors God to truly follow God? No. There's still that call. Even when we fail, that call still remains present. I even mentioned the community that's here, the church, the body of Christ, being committed to being with fellow believers. We're, like I said, we're going to miss a Sunday. We're going to you know, miss a Bible study or something. We're going to miss a hangout. Um, but does that mean, you know, do, like, oh, I'm not going to commit to this thing? It's like, no, really strive to go for it. Um, and even let that weight sit with you. I mean, the idea of discipleship, of teaching someone else, of saying, come alongside and walk with me. I know the people I've discipled, I haven't done it perfectly. Um, not at all. It's been very much the spirit moving and it has allowed them to grow. Um, so we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. 
So really, what, what, do we, what do we walk away with here? Uh, well, the first one is what I was just talking about, that uh, this idea of should I not commit because I'm, you know, you're really saying that when we give an oath, sometimes we don't follow through. Um, and no, the spirit moves. The spirit has, gives grace and his word is true. That is what we can sit in and truly, you know, live in that promise, the promises of God. Um, so let, let that sit with you of God's kept his promises so far and will continue to keep his promises. Um, so let that push you forward to truly committing to the things that God calls you to do. Uh, but I think the, 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 bigger, the bigger one, um, and it's, it's, it's a very simple message, I think, that we've heard time and time again. But one, I think, that is important we feel the weight of in that we need to really strive to do this. If we're going to be reflections of God, um, and you probably heard that saying, unless you're FBS and you're no be no. So, um, of course, I have to go to James 5.12, where that is said, where it says, but above all, my brothers, do not make any vows, whether by heaven or by earth or any other vow, but instead let your yes be yes and your no be no, in order that you don't become liable to judgment. You know, James does a little bit more graciously of saying, here is the, you know, Matthew being like, this is the judgment that will happen. And James is saying, I don't want you to experience that. So this is what I'm calling you to do. Um, so really the big thing, the call to repentance um, is to turn away from giving a word you cannot keep. To not continually say, I'm going to do this um, and destroy, try to destroy God's witness but really it's a turn towards God's promises to say God will do this continuously over and over again. He will keep his oath and, to, try to, and, and to, to keep our word to make sure that what comes out of our mouth we truly follow through with it. And if maybe you're like, well, what are, the God's, what are some of God's promises that I should really sit in and rest in? What are the ones that I can point towards? I mean, we've looked at some of these earlier in Matthew. I mean, the Beatitudes um, that are found at the beginning of Matthew 5, um, just briefly look at them. I didn't put that up there, but I'll, I'll read through some of them. But, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't know, that one, that one, I'm so grateful that God's promises in that one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy and on and on and on. So if you want to know the promises of God that he will continuously uphold, there's just a few. There's so many more found here in his word um, that he will continuously uphold. And anytime I see those, I am incredibly encouraged by it. The, the faith one really came to mind for me was because I was reading through the, the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob recently and being like, man, this family is not great. And yet God still faithful. He still keeps his oath that I will birth a great nation from you. That you will be my people. So we really need to look to God's word. If you want to get super, super practical with it, just those always and nevers that sometimes we want to give out of like, I will always do this or I will never do this. Even some of the silly stuff. Really just... I've had friends catch me on it, of being like, really? You will never do this? And even then, I like, want to give like, a percentage sometimes. of like, okay, 70% of the time I won't do this. But even then, I can't, I can't commit to that. So really, like, be aware of 
what it is that you say and follow through with it. Maybe you're here and you just, like, what is this promise, what is this great promise of God you keep pointing back to the gospel? Um, I want to encourage you that God keeps his incredible word of even the first time he gave his word of saying, I'm going to come save you. And so he sent Jesus to die for us. He fulfilled that word, taking on our sin, and then rising again, defeating death, and creating an opportunity for us to just follow him and to find salvation in him, to live in that promise that one day God will return and we'll get to live eternal life with him. That is one I know I can continuously hold on to over and over and over again and gives me hope every day, especially the times that I fail. So let's keep our word.